Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You say you lost your way. I say the street and everywhere it ain't so easy. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You just heard a clip from the song Never Look Back by Guy Randall, a singer-songwriter from Green, Ohio. Guy is our featured artist today, so at the end of the podcast, we'll play the whole song for you and tell you a little bit more about him. And like always, if you're making original music in Ohio, we'd love to feature you right here on Ohio Mysteries. Just shoot us an email over to feedback at ohiomysteries.com and tell us about yourself. No, there ain't no stopping us. I happened to look over into the sky to the northeast, and I seen a very, very bright light up there, like a very bright star. And then I said, well, that's moving. And I just stood there and watched it as what I was doing, and it was just coming down out of the sky real slow, and no noise, just quiet, and I couldn't see no wings or nothing, just floating right through the midair up there. I happened to look over and saw this large floating object that was just moving very slowly. It was probably about a football field in length. It had three large bright lights lighting up the sky underneath it. So do you believe in UFOs? Paula swears she is going to make a believer out of all of us tonight. So throw another log on the fire and settle in, campers. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. And of course, with me is our storyteller, Paula Schleiss, an award-winning journalist who spent 30 years at the Akron Beacon Journal researching and sharing these kinds of tales. Hi, everybody, and happy Halloween. Steve, it's, it's also a special evening because we are actually sitting around a backyard campfire right now with a few family members. Chuckling, can we hear chuckling? Because the, <laughs> the wind was making the campfire so obnoxious, I we had to move it. told so. you we need a laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, a, there is a campfire in the yard. We're just not seated right. around. Right, and only, only a few family members <laughs> wanted to come out and see us, I guess. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so are you guys ready for some goosebumps? Yeah. Cheer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there we go. Give them direction. That's always good. I love it. I know each episode we start out as if our listeners are waiting for a good campfire story. So this especially puts me in the mood. Now, Paula, I'm open-minded about uh, the idea of other c- civilizations in the universe trying to contact us. But... You know, we only have one proof of carbon-based life form, and that's us. So, kind of a skeptic. I need to, you know, it's going to be hard to get me to believe, but we'll see. You're promising that, you know, by the end of the episode, you're going to make us all believe in the little green men, so. No, 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 no. (laughs) I don't know about the little green men, but here's what I'm going to make you believe. I'm going to make you believe there are unidentified flying objects that cannot be explained. I'm going to make you believe that the government knows it, and cannot explain them, and that the military has gone out of its way from letting you know what they know. 
Okay. Well, uh, there was an unidentified flying object that hit my wife in the eyeball on her way over today. That was uh, that was kind of fun. <laughs> And you didn't identify it? I didn't identify it. Was that a fly? I did identify it. It was in my glasses, and it was a fly. It was the weirdest thing. That is not a UFO. All right. Well, we all heard her. She threw down, she threw down the gauntlet, so let's hear this story. All right. Well, first, I want you to know that for about 80% of this story, I went straight to the transcripts of government interviews with the witnesses. Oh, so these okay. details are straight from the mouths of those involved with this encounter. I wanted us to be just one degree of separation from the actual facts of the case. So keep that in mind All right. as I take you back to April 17, 1966. Oh, before I was born. It's before I was only six. But when I hear that date, I'm so glad it wasn't a couple of weeks earlier because April the 1st, is not the best day for people to be reporting they've seen a UFO. That's true. I report every every April 1st, I report at UFO. Yeah. yeah. So, thank goodness this was April 1-7, not April 1. <laughs> right. And we are going to start with our first witness, who is without a doubt a perfect first witness. So It's, it's a nun? It's not a nun. Oh, okay. It's not, there is a priest in this story, so oh, stay tuned. okay. So it's 5 a.m., and in the pre-dawn darkness... Manaway Police Chief Gerald Bukert is patrolling his village in northern Portage County. Bukert, nice. Yeah, Bukert. Bukert. I had to check on how to yeah. pronounce that. I, th I think I got it right. I'm praying I got it okay. right. Okay, okay. There, there is a Manaway, uh, there is a contestant on a loan that's from Manaway, right? Yes, he came yes. in second place. Oh, why did you spoil it for me? Oh, I'm sorry. She spoiled it for <laughs> me. It was on She's yesterday. Off. I'm not going to watch that's it now. Sorry. No, I'm kidding. Watch go ahead, it. go ahead. <laughs> One of our favorite guys won, so you, you'll be Oh, happy. good. Oh, I spoiled it again. There we go. <laughs> so now, back in the 1960s, the chief was often a one-man department. He was on call 24-7. As a matter of fact, when residents phoned the police department, the phone rang in the police chief's home. So you just got to know this guy is devoted, very much interested in protecting his community, and 100% credible. Okay. So he's patrolling along Route 44 when most folks are still in bed, and he's listening to the, the police radio, and he hears law enforcement officials in Summit County talking to the Portage County Sheriff's Dispatcher. And a Mrs. Harry Hayes in Akron has reported a brightly lighted object as big as a house flying over her neighborhood. Huh. Now, she says, look, the object is too low to be a plane. It's too high to be a street light. But this thing is headed east. So Summit County says, let's let Portage County know. And maybe the deputies can look, be on the lookout for something strange going on. Okay. So Bukert hears this on the radio. He looks out his window, and son of a gun, there's a strange light just to his southeast. So he scurries back home to get his camera, wakes his wife, he wants another witness, <laughs> coaxes her into her bathrobe, and takes her into the backyard. The saucer-shaped object is near them now. So it's saucer-shaped now. It's saucer-shaped. Okay. As a matter of fact, it's bobbing and weaving a little bit, and when it tilts, he can see it's two circular shapes that are together. It kind of looks like two tea saucers, teacup saucers, on top of each okay. other. That's how he describes it. A real classic UFO look. As big as a house. Um, well, he's, it's not close enough for him to see, but it's okay. huge. It's huge. And so this thing is sending a funnel of light to the ground. And Bukert, he's a trained observer. He wants to make sure his eyes aren't deceiving him. So he finds this telephone pole with some lines, and he watches the object go below the lines and then above them. And he's confident now that this object is in motion. Okay, so they're okay. beaming up a cow, a cow or uh, they're not they're not like beaming no, up anything. Okay. But you know what? It's that funnel of light, right. inverted funnel of light. Like maybe they they want to. Okay. So Bukert lifts his camera. It's a brownie starmite camera for you photography buffs out there. Yeah, I don't know what that is. And he, somebody will know. <laughs> okay. And he snaps a photo before the object moves away into the night. All right. So if you want some evidence. I'm going to give you Exhibit A, Chief Bukert's photo. It was taken in the dark, but someone lightened it enough so that you can clearly see the silhouette of this classic saucer. 
and what appears to be Bukert's police car below it on the ground. Now, the photo's on our website. That's okay. ohiomysteries.com. So check it out. Let us know what you oh, think. Oh, I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Okay. So Those now, Russians. Those our, Russians are always flying over us, Russians. man. Russians. So our next two-star witnesses are 18 miles southeast of Bukert's location. So allow me to introduce you to Portage County Deputies Del Spar and Barney Neff. All right, Barney. These are some great names. They're great names. I love Barney Neff. They are. Del Spar. That's fantastic. Del Spar is the one who's going to be driving during this chase. Okay. Doesn't Del Spar sound like a race car? Sounds right. Sounds like he should be uh, in the NASCAR. Yeah. So uh, a couple hours earlier, the two men had been sent to handle an accident on Route 183 near Atwater Center. A car had sheared a utility pole. So they drove the driver to the hospital. They had the car towed. Then they waited for an Ohio Edison man to come fix the pole. (laughs) So while they're chatting with the linemen, they pick up the radio traffic between Portage and Summit counties. So they're listening. They're cracking a few jokes. And Del Spar's like, boy, I've never seen a UFO. That'd be something. That'd be nice. And uh, so they're, they're cracking some jokes. And then they decide they're going to leave the guy. They're going to go make their report on that accident. So to get to their office, they're going to head down Route 224. Okay. Okay. Along the way, they spot a car that's been abandoned by the side of the road. It's between Randolph and Atwater. Okay. It's a rusty 1950 white Ford. So they pull over to investigate. And this is strange. The vehicle is filled with what appears to be green radio, little men. Oh. radio equipment. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. No, no little I thought green the green men little men were going to be, okay. But get this. Painted on the side of the car is a triangle with a lightning bolt through it and the words... Seven Steps to Hell. What? So now imagine you've spotted this car, you're reading Seven Steps to Hell, and then right in front of you, rising from the line of trees, is a UFO. Wow. I've heard of Stairway to Heaven, but not Stairway to Hell. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Well, it, it had to be chilling. Spar says... It, it's in the distance a little bit right now. Okay. So he's just mildly surprised for a second, and he hears this humming. It's humming. It sounded like an overloaded transformer. So Spar turns to Neff and says, well, that must be the UFO that's been talked about. Obviously. Then this craft turns toward them, moves in their direction, rises above their car, and hovers. Completely intentional wanting them to see it. Right. So the light is so bright, it's bathing the ground in this bright blue light. And Spar says his eyes are watering. And he's so interested in the, the intensity of that light. He says for a second he even looks at the ground to see if it's on fire. So it's so bright that it's making his eyes water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I said. He wasn't crying. So. He wasn't crying. Okay. All right. He wasn't crying. But he's petrified. Okay. Both of them are petrified. I would be too. Spar is actually questioning whether he can move or whether he, this thing has stopped him from moving. So he tests his foot just to make sure it can move. It can so he looks at Neff, Neff makes eye contact, and they run like hell for their cruiser <laughs> and get inside. Now, let me tell you also about this thing. They reported that this thing looked to be about 50 feet long and 20 feet high. That's, that's the yeah, size that's, of a small house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was about 200 feet away from them, so not as far as a football field. Okay. Um, and it was 50 to 100 feet off the ground. I was going to ask how far off yeah. there. Okay. So not far. I mean, they're getting a really good look at this thing. So once they're secured in the cruiser, Spar radios in to dispatch to report the UFO. And Sergeant Henry Schoenfeld tells them, keep an eye on the thing. We're sending someone to you with a camera. Okay. So no, they, they, pull out they their, can't sit there. Yeah, they can't because, pull out their smartphone and take a picture of it. Well, no, this is they can't. They and can't. it's not a drone, so. Uh, it's, yeah. I'm, kind I'm of just here throwing out the obvious, you know. I'm kind of surprised they didn't have a camera in the car. You'd think cops would right. have had a camera in the car. That's true. But, so the craft, actually, it starts moving off. And Spar's been instructed to keep an eye on it. So he pulls onto the road, and they begin to follow it. 
Now, this spacecraft, I'll call it a spacecraft, I don't know what to call it, this UFO, um, it rises as high as about 500 feet, it speeds up, it slows down. Um, at one point, the dispatcher, Robert Wilson, tells Spar, look, shoot the thing with your 44 Magnum, because you, you want some evidence. And I'm like, well, what? You don't know what this thing is? And you're going right. to pull out your magnum and start shooting at it? Well, fortunately, calmer heads prevailed. Sergeant Schoenfeld interceded and said he didn't think it would be wise to agitate the object. Yeah. So, yeah, don't shoot at something you don't understand. Guess they've never seen the movie Fourth of July, so. Uh, yeah, mm. yeah. I have. I love that movie. <laughs> so Spar and Neff continue to follow the UFO. At point, some points, they reported reaching speeds of over 100 miles an hour, trying wow. to keep up with this thing. So it's not the Goodyear Blunt. So it's it's not slow. <laughs> okay. This thing can go really fast. Yes, good point. Because you know what? It could have been the blimp. That's a right around the area. County. Yeah. It is. The, the, the That's right. Yeah, so Those you're right. Goodyear people, man. So anyway, the... The It's rural roads. They're racing down. There's not a lot of traffic. Um, and Spar is telling those who are listening to him on the radio, this thing is so brightly lighting up the road, they don't even need their headlights. Um, the whole ground is just illuminated. All the while, several police officers, even from other jurisdictions, are racing to try to join them. They all have cameras. They all want a shot of this thing. Unfortunately... Spar is not only going extremely fast, he is soon out of his jurisdiction, doesn't know the roads as well, and he's calling out the wrong route numbers. Oh, no. So the guys that are trying to catch up to him ahead of him are going to the wrong places. The aliens so are scrambling nobody's reaching. That's it. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah, clearly everybody listening needed their own tinfoil hat. <laughs> but you know what? I'm not making fun of this. This thing is deadly serious. So... This UFO, it clearly wants attention. Okay. At one point, Spar makes a wrong turn in an intersection that takes him going in the wrong direction. And he reports this craft stops, changes its course, and comes back to him and waits for him to fix his direction before they chase off again. It's like they're playing a cat and mouse game. Right. Playing games with the... Yeah. Okay. And, and there are points during the rural road where there, there are stoplights, there are residential neighborhoods, and they have to slow down a lot. And when that happens, this craft slows down and waits for them to catch up. Wow. So at 5.20 a.m., the sun rises, and the deputies are getting a better look at this thing. And now um, the whole time they're in the car, they're talking on the radio, everybody's listening to them. And they're reporting, uh, they see now a projection in the back. It looks like an 18-foot-long antenna. And they have also determined the UFO has a satiny metallic finish to it. And they can still hear the craft humming. Whenever they stop talking, turn the radio down, and open the windows, they hear that hum. So they're, they're out on the road chasing this thing for over a half hour. Then they're going into Mahoning County and then into Columbiana County. And now we've got Witness 4 coming up. So it's moving east still. It's still moving east, okay. kind of southeast in the direction of Pittsburgh. Okay. So Witness 4 is Officer Wayne Houston of the East Palestine Police Department. That's in Columbiana County. And he's been monitoring the radio broadcast, and he wants a piece of this. Of course. So he checks his maps, he figures out where they're going to be coming, and he moves his car to Route 14 to intercept them. And whoosh, there was the UFO past him. And whoosh, there go the deputies past him. And he pulls out. It goes right after him. So now you got this caravan. You've got this spacecraft leading the chase and these two cars from two different counties headed to the Pennsylvania It's like the Dukes of Hazard, man. I can only imagine what this must have been like. <laughs> and, and all the dozens of law enforcement officials who are listening to this. So very soon, the, these two cruisers with the three lawmen, they cross the border into Pennsylvania. They don't, the so they've state gone to a different state stop. now. Wow. They're in another state. They're on Route 51, the saucer leading the way. And they have even moved beyond the range of the Portage County Area Police Band. So a station in Lisbon, Ohio, uh, begins logging the chase. Okay. So when word reaches the state police in Chippewa, Pennsylvania, they call Pittsburgh Air Traffic and say, hey, you guys see anything strange on your radar? And, 
And the air traffic control is like, nope, nothing out of the ordinary here. So I don't know if that's strange, though. If it was flying low, I, I don't know. Yeah, if, sure if, if it flies low, it yeah, it, it, would, uh, yeah. it would go undetected. Yeah. So about this time, Portage County Sheriff boss is calling Lisbon and saying, look, would you get on the horn and tell Spower and F just come on home. They're, they're in another state now. We should probably leave it to them. Come on home. Right. So Spar's like, okay. And he's running low on fuel. So he needs to pull off into a service station. And he does this in Conway, Pennsylvania. And there they meet up with Conway policeman Frank Panzanella, witness number five. Now Panzanella, he's off duty. And he's been heading home when he saw what he thought was a burning airplane. Now, the object looked like it was on a collision course with him. So he even maneuvered his cruiser for fear this thing was going to hit him. But once over his initial panic, uh, he saw it wasn't a burning airplane and pretty much described what the others had. It was a dome-shaped, I think he described it as a bisected football um, and that there was this funnel of glaring illumination coming out of the bottom and, uh, and the aerial attachment. Now, Panzanella had just pulled off into the service station when Spar and Neff arrive. And at first, Panzanella is hesitant to admit he's seen anything. Okay. You know, Spar sees he's a, a cop. He goes up to him and says, did you just see that object that flew past here? And Panzanella's like... What object? Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I have no what idea are you what you're talking, talking about? about? And then Spar's probably like, uh, we're police officers from Ohio. If we chase this thing <laughs> into your state, you can at least admit that you saw it too. Right. So Pantanella admits that he saw it. And so now you've got the four officers together, Spar and Neff from the Portage County Sheriff, Houston from East Palestine, and Panzanella from Conway. And they're all listening together to the radio traffic when they hear chatter about aircraft being scrambled. So the men look up and suddenly they notice there are jet vapor trails. And they're watching as these fighter jets are moving to intercept the UFO. Okay. And others are reporting the jets also. They must have come from the west because even back in Portage County, another sheriff deputy reports to his dispatcher that he sees three fighter jets hauling ass wow. to the Pennsylvania border. So here's where the UFO makes its exit. Spar said as the fighter jets neared it, the saucer accelerated, rose straight into the sky like it was pulled by a cord, huh. and disappeared. So there you have it. I, I don't think a UFO sighting has had more credible and authoritative witnesses than this one. And they weren't the only ones to have seen it. There were, there were dozens of civilians reporting this thing. Even the priest at St. Joseph's Church in Manaway, Bukert's territory, he called in to find out what was going on because he had seen it. Wow. So... A day later, the UFO and the chase are international news, and reporters from every compass point are making their way to Portage County. And Bukert's family would later describe the next several days as, quote, living hell. Bukert knew the naysayers would be out in force, so he quickly got his film developed. Okay. Uh, you know, like you said, back in the day, you couldn't just look at your cell phone and share it with people. You actually right. had to go get it developed. So he's, he's holding the prints when he calls the Cleveland office of the FBI to report what he has. And they say, you've got to talk to Major Hector Quintanilla at the Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton. In Dayton, okay. Okay. So Because that's where they're storing the bodies from the Roswell accident. That, yeah. uh, yes, that is a longtime rumor. Okay. And I'll tell you why Dayton and, and Quintanilla. Let me tell you about Quintanilla. He is heading the Air Force's Project Blue Book, which is in Dayton. Okay. Okay. That's a program the Pentagon put together to research UFOs. So it was active from 1952 to 1969, and the goal was to just follow up on any strange sightings in the sky. I never heard of this. I'm sure people who are into UFOs probably heard of this. Yeah, before, actually, they have released. They say they've released it all. It makes me wonder. But they said they've released all their files on this. Sure. And you can find a, a website that tells you how to, to access some of this stuff. Um, but they say their goal was to investigate any strange sightings in the sky, determine what they are, 
whether they pose a threat to national security, and if they're legit, what kind of technology might we learn from them? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they, they, they absolutely, uh, I mean, this is during the Cold War. So yes. So there is some... Right. So there is some cause to think, well, maybe some of these things are some experimental craft from, you know, or something from another country. Right. So there's good reason to be worried about something strange in your uh, I mean, at this time, we were also trying to build our own flying saucer. Right. 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 And, and other things. But Quintanilla, from all accounts, hates his job. His son later told a Cleveland scene reporter in 2004 that his dad was assigned to the job as punishment for defying a superior. Uh, Quintanella had no patience for what he called UFO buffs. He s- referred to them as people who have ceased to live in our real world. <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> and on top of his normal disdain for the job, he's in a really bad mood. Just a month earlier, before the Portage County incident, Quintanilla was forced to go to Washington and talk to a congressional committee because of an incident in Michigan. Now there, a truck driver had seen a glowing saucer touch down, and Quintanilla issued a release saying what the trucker had seen was swamp gas. Well, (laughs) nobody in Michigan or this region of the country had ever heard of swamp gas. And even the members of Congress were like, what is that? You know, I'm going to YouTube sm- uh, swamp gas and see if it looks like a UFO to me. It makes me wonder if people in the South know what it is. Maybe, Maybe. Quintanilla's got a, a Southern connection. Maybe. I mean, Nobody I've had swamp knew. gas before, but, but the that's members a different of Congress, story. <laughs> they didn't know either. And they're like, you know what? Why don't you come over to Washington? Tell us about the swamp gas. <laughs> so he's mad. He goes down to Washington. The hearing got heated at times. Now he's home, and, and this has all happened. So the timing of this is, is not good. It's not so, good for Yeah. When, right. So Booker doesn't know it, but he's not going to find a fan in Quintanella. And when Quintanella tells Booker, hey, send me the original negative of your UFO picture, Booker has no idea what a mistake that is. But Bukert dutifully sends the negatives to him. Uh, He does keep the prints he made. Unfortunately, without the negative, he has just given up his ability to prove the veracity of his print. Okay. This is going to be an issue very soon. So Quintanilla then follows up his call with Bukert to the Portage County Sheriff's Office, where he can't conceal his distaste. He starts by asking Spower, so... Tell me about this mirage you saw. Right. So, right. What were you away. drinking that night? <laughs> what were you drinking that night? <laughs> and then as Spar tries to tell him, Quintanella cuts him off and says, look, did you have this thing in view for more than a few minutes? And Spar says, I, yeah, I chased it for miles into another state. And at that point, Quintanella shuts down. He loses interest and ends the conversation. That fast. And that's it. Wow. So... With those brief calls from Bukert and to Spar, Quintanilla issues a news release to the media. Bukert's photo, he says, was a processing defect. And what the officers were really chasing was... Swamp gas. Wait for it. The planet Venus. Wow. Distorted I've chased that before. by atmospheric conditions. Okay, I've chased that before. So, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, so he also denies that fighter jets had been sent out. Now, I, I don't know about you, Steve. Here's where my skepticism leaves the train station. Because until now, I'm curious about what they're following. following. I'm, I'm open-minded about this. I have grave doubts about whether species from another planet could find a way to travel to Earth. But hey, theoretically, it could happen. Yeah. Um, or maybe those guys with the radio equipment uh, and the Seven Steps of Hell sticker, maybe they had some kind of experimental craft that they were dicking around with. And I'll admit, I've seen the moon look really strange. Have you ever seen that? That yes. weird phenomenon where you're like, you're going down the street and all of a sudden the moon looks like 20 times right. bigger you're than Right, you're like, what should. the heck is that? I mean, the first time I saw it, it scared the crap out of me. I thought it was going to crash into us. So I know that atmospheric conditions can make something look strange. But I never mistook that moon for what it was. Right. I never looked at that moon for 90 minutes trying to decide whether it was the moon 
or a flying or saucer. A UFO, right. Okay. So when Quintanella says he wants us to believe that these officers, all trained in observation and investigation, did not know the difference between a planet and a house-sized hunk of metal drifting over the treetops. <laughs> I'm going to call bullshit. Yeah, agreed. Okay, all right. Sad thing is, too many people believed Quintanella over Spar. And Quintanella has the negative, so... Or and the, he's got the yeah. negative of the, of the film, so you can't, you know, you're going to have to take his word for it that there was a processing defect in it. And at this time, Spar, he's the only guy willing to publicly defend this incident to reporters. Not even his partner? No, no. Within a couple of days of the media onslaught on Portage County, every other witness has clammed up. So when things go south very fast for the lawmen, lawmen who witnessed this thing, Spar is going to bear the brunt of it. So in Manaway, Booker is convinced everyone is looking at him funny. He has, he has to be talked out of resigning. He's ready to resign. Okay. And his family has to talk him out of it. And although he kept a scrapbook of every newspaper article written on the topic, he refused to discuss it again. Even when reporters reached out to him months and years later, he turned them all away. Wow. Uh, Sheriff Deputy Neff, he goes into seclusion. His wife tells reporters her husband was almost in a state of shock after it happened. And now people are making fun of him. And she said he told her, if that thing landed in my backyard, I wouldn't tell a soul. Wow. So this is having some real-life consequences for these guys. Well, these guys are used to being respected and looked up to, and they're people of authority, and now people are making fun of them. They're, you know, targets of ridicule, and, I mean, that's a big twist from from what they're used to. Uh, Even in East Palestine, Officer Wayne Houston leaves his department and moves west, and he said he quit because he was tired of people making fun of him. He actually changed his name. He started using his middle name because he thought that would cut back on the ability of people to track him down. Now these the aren't Coast. these aren't um, these aren't officers of big cities. These are and they are that well known that he has to change his name. Yeah, you're right. These are small communities where most of the people probably in the community probably know them by name. Right. And they're still being. They still have to move move west to get away from all. Right. That. This guy went all the way to the other side of the country. Wow. And in Pennsylvania, Officer Frank Panzanella, he refused to be interviewed by anybody. I don't even think he was interviewed by the government. He wouldn't accept any interviews. His friends told reporters he even had his telephone removed so that it would stop ringing. Spar, on the other hand, he stood by his story, and he repeated it. But Spar is also unique in the story for another reason. He's the only one to have seen the UFO a second time. A second time. It was two months after the first encounter. Now, deputies knew civilians were monitoring their broadcasts, so they agreed if the UFO were ever spotted again, the department would refer to it as Floyd. That was Dale's middle name. Oh, okay. Okay. So, sure enough, an evening in June, Spar is driving east on Interstate 80, and he looks up, and, there's and Floyd. there it is. There's Floyd. And he whispers that into the radio. He says, Floyd's here with me. Then he pulls his car over, he parks it, he lights a cigarette, and he stares at the floor of the cruiser for 15 minutes, refusing to look out the window. He doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He doesn't want to be have to provide any more evidence than that statement. Doesn't have a camera in his car. Does, uh, and probably wouldn't have taken a picture because wow. his life is spiraling at this point. And when he finally looks up, 15 minutes or so later, Floyd's gone. Four months after this happens, six months after the original event, Spar's life is in shambles. He's lost his wife. He's lost his home. He's lost his job. He's living in a motel in Solon. He's lost 40 pounds. He's living on one bowl of cereal and one sandwich a day. In his last known interview, he said, I have become a freak. I'm so damn lonely. Look at me, 34 years old, and what do I have? Nothing. Who knows me? To everyone, I'm Del Spar, the nut who chased a flying saucer. If I could change all that I have done in my life, I would change just one thing. And that would be the night we chased that damn thing 
that saucer. Wow. So he, I believe he also ended up moving out west, and, and people lost track of what had happened to him. So and he's he, kind of disappeared off disappeared. the radar. Hopefully his life got better after that. Yeah, you hope. You, you hope, know. because he, he was a mess. But there's one other person uh, involved with his story that I want to mention. His name was Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and he was an astronomy professor at Ohio State. And Quintanilla often used him as a consultant because he figured it would be better to have a man of science debunk some of these sightings. Now, Heineck did not disbelieve UFOs. He thought there was potential. So he took the reportings of sightings very serious. This led to tension with, you know, between the astronomer and the Air Force major because Quintilla, he wanted everything debunked and debunked fast. So when Quintanella makes his initial calls to Portage County right after the event, he's guessing this is not a case that Heineck is going to dismiss quickly. So he decides, I'm not not even going to call him for consultation. Okay. So this is according to that Cleveland Scene report and the interview with Quintanella's own son. And by the way, a thorough and well-done piece by reporter James Renner. James Renner. James Renner. Yes. But... Excluding Heineck came to bite Quintanilla in the butt. Heineck's assistant, William Powers, writes to Spar and Neff and tells them, you know what, Heineck wasn't consulted on this. He disagrees with Quintanilla, and there is no way these deputies were chasing Venus. So as word of this battle between the major and the man of science gets out, there's on press- pressure on Quintanella to go back and do a proper investigation. So Quintanella, not happy about it, but he goes ahead, drives back into Portage County, and does full interviews with Bukert and Manaway, and then Sparneff and Ravenna. Um, in a transcript of the Ravenna interview, Quintanella, he keeps alternating between theories of Venus and a theory of a runaway weather balloon. But Sheriff Dustman... He's standing by his men, and at one point, according to the transcript, Sheriff Dustman says, it's too damn bad that these things are running around through our skies over our heads, and the United States Air Force and the government doesn't know what's going on out there, because there's too many of them, and there's too many people have seen it. So, sometime later, after this event has settled down, Hynek moves to Chicago, and he founds the Center for UFO Studies, which still exists today. They've got a great website if somebody's really into UFO um, stories and, and information. Lots of classic stories are explained there. But I'm going to leave you with some fun trivia. Okay. So in 1976, Hynek, the astronomer, he's hired as a consultant by a new and upcoming Ohio-born director by the name of Steven Spielberg. Oh, wow. For a new movie about a UFO. <laughs> and Spielberg uses a phrase that was coined by Heineck to name his film. Do you know what film it is? Oh, man. I Close Encounters. Close Encounters yes. of the Third, tie, third Kind. Heineck had a classification system for his studies. So a close encounter of the first kind referred to a general, general UFO sighting in the distant. A close encounter of the second kind meant there was physical evidence. And a close encounter of the third kind meant contact. So there's one connection to the to that movie that has a local twist. Okay. There's a scene near the beginning of the movie that shows police officers speeding along this rural road in Indiana chasing a UFO. And that, it has been reported, was an homage to the Portage County event. Nice. So, nice. Well, that's what I have for you, Steve. What do you think? Oh, that's just, it's a fantastic story. Did it's, I deliver? I Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Right. I, I Did I make you believe all the things I said when, I was going to make you believe? It was a little goofy, you know, to me, but when it comes down to how much it affected the lives of these, you know, men, you know, it... I mean, there was some serious, for him to be sick to it, even after all that, you know. I mean, these guys could have just laughed it off, you know. And But it actually, if you see something like that, it affects you, you know. The legitimacy of it 
you know, the, the credibility of the witnesses in this case just really have affected me. And there's, there's weird things that had me going back and forth. For instance, there's an antenna on this thing. You know, you, you've traveled from another galaxy. And, and you're you using an antenna. antenna. Yeah. You know, but then the explanation of how this thing shot up into the air like it was pulled by a cord. I don't even know that we have that technology today. Oh, no. No. I mean, that, that's some crazy stuff. Right. So, you know, I... How about you guys? What, what do you guys think? <laughs> Barb? Are you a UFO believer? I've never been one. You've never been, never been a UFO believer? I feel so bad for those men yeah. that I'm going to give them... The benefit of the doubt? The there you go. I mean, they absolutely seen something. You know, oh, they did. Because oh, they did. if it was, yeah. Oh, go see that picture. Yeah, oh, that I, picture. I'm definitely going to do I'm like, that. I mean, I'm pretty sure that picture couldn't have been and not the faked. The officers didn't have cameras in their car. That wouldn't have been a thing in those days. Now, yeah, everybody would snap something. Well, you would have to think that maybe they would keep That's true. cameras. No, I would think they would keep cameras in there. Just in case there was like a car wreck or something. I don't know. They had special, but they had special people that were photographers. You know, in those days, well, come out yeah. to crime scenes, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. The same people that, that took, you know, family photos or, you know, the ones that are out there taking pictures at crime scenes. Right. I'm wondering where these, uh, these jets were scrambled from. There is no Air Force base. The only thing close is the Ravenna Arsenal, and that's... Uh, well, Army, right? the Ravenna Arsenal is a, a something that people bring up a lot when they talk about what was this thing. That's I mean, could it have been true. something that the was Air from there? Base that's over there in green. Well, could yeah. these things also have come from, I mean, they could have come from as far as like Chicago. Yeah, maybe, but... Isn't there something north of Chicago? It would not have taken long have for a, a, a jet. A, a yeah. jet. Akron has the grid. Here, the electrical. Well, remember, Dayton Air Force Base is huge too. They had that when 9/11 happened. Um, I was close. I worked at First Energy, and they had they had the fighter jets over First Energy to make sure that wasn't taken out. Yeah. Because you know, if you if you take down certain key parts, and the truth is, is that the electrical grid you can't just replace it right away. They could have come from Wright Patterson. Oh well, duh. Yeah. 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 Back yeah. when this happened, I was 19. Did 19. you hear about this? I was 19. I remember it happening. Wow. I don't remember it being such a big deal, but I do remember it happening. I, you know, vaguely. Yeah. Oh, your oh, hat fell off. Now the, the aliens, aliens are going to get you now. That's right. Now the NSA's. Now you're not going to know where your routes yeah, are. And that's it. Your road I'm names. Busted. I lost all my thoughts because I lost my metal hat. Well, don't take a Wonder Woman <laughs> power cuffs off. Right. <laughs> But Tom, UFO? Yes. You have can to identify too. it. Is it well, by definition. That's true. That's true. An, it is absolutely an unidentified flying we object. We were in a cold war. In a cold war. And state. we had a lot of military, a lot of things going on that we were not made aware of. Look at Area 51, for example. Look at right. the stuff that goes on there. Look at out in the desert, the bombs know. that were going off out there, you know. That people didn't even know about, you know, certain hot zones. Oh yeah. So, uh, it yeah, very yeah. Time. It very well could be, um, you know, uh, it, it could be us as well. You know, I mean, look at all the look at all the technology we were we were Although, trying to come up with moon landers and stuff like that. If it was us, I guess we wouldn't have scrambled jets. Just well, depends on how mean, secret it is. I was. Truman passed that law that said that the that the different agencies couldn't talk to each other. So if one agency was doing one thing. Like maybe Wright Patterson or something, and then a different they wouldn't necessarily know. So one agency might be scrambling those fighter jets while the other agency is is trying stuff out. You also have you also have businesses. You you also have uh, businesses. You know, um, trying to compete for contracts with NASA. You know, building different types of you know ships. Oh, oh. and then the the car. They said that they found the owner of the car. Oh, they did. Okay. But there was no more information, and I want to know who's got a car with radio equipment, seven, seven steps, steps to, to hell. hell sticker, right where this thing is rising out of out of the ground. Maybe they were trying to contact somebody. Maybe that's why there was an antenna on it. Or maybe they were 
Well, it could be. Or maybe they were following it. I don't know. They just maybe never, I could find nothing about the owners of this car. Maybe they hmm. were I want to know. I want to know. Maybe that was a close encounter just, for the third time for them. I just personally believe that there are UFOs. I, I believe we'd be very conceited to think we're the only people in this whole big wide universe. Yeah. I mean, think about it. That's, that's why, yeah. that's why I'm, I'm kind of open to it a little bit. I think that's the debate. I think yeah. most people will acknowledge something out there. The question is, what? does somebody have the technology to reach us? Right. See, I would think that when they would, because there's too many, like, I guess they did this whole thing where, um, like, you see the Mayan pyramids and the Egyptian pyramids, and they're all in the same time frame, but nobody was talking. There's too far. You know, right. it's like all these things when they, they were talking about, like, um, there's some weird stuff I saw on TV one time. This is what happened when we watched Discovery Channel at 3 in the morning. But they had, like, a ramp that was built in one of the jungles. They uncovered, like, 30 years ago that they said had to have been a runway for a plane. You know what I mean? That That's the only explanation, the way that it was situated. It was so weird. I can't even remember. But it was the Discovery Channel. Yeah. Late at night. And yeah. so I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, Yeah. if there was something. I'm not saying that there is, but... If Quintanella had said, oh, gosh, that's really strange. We don't know what the heck that thing is. We're going to look into it. I would have been less skeptical of all of this than, or more skeptical of there being a UFO than had he not just come out and said, ah, they were chasing Venus. Because yeah. when, you've got this guy who's, his, his, th his job is investigating like a hot, I don't know, 12,000 sightings in those years. And his answer is, eh, you were chasing a planet. I'm thinking, okay, you just lied. Right. You just looked us in the face and lied. So now I know that you know something. Now you kind of have to believe us. the people who are telling now the story. I have to. So you just ruined it. Right. You know, if you didn't want me to believe, then you should have just said, ah, there's something really strange here. Don't worry. It's not a UFO. We'll get down. You know, we'll, we'll try to figure it out. Well, has anybody <laughs> seen a UFO? Here. Has anybody seen something in the sky they can't explain? We've all seen something in the sky in our lifetime where it was suspicious. I, I have, yes. Have you? I, think I, haven't I did. Arizona. I haven't. Did you in Arizona? Yes. That would be a perfect place because mm -hmm. lots Great of reporting's out. Right. I've never seen anything like huh. I can't even describe it. But it I stuck with you. You couldn't describe it? You couldn't tell me what it kind of no, looked like? Did it look like it? Did it? Did it look like a like a, a triangular was shape? Was it round I mean, like a saucer? Was it just a pinpoint of light? Did it look triangular and bright? Steve, you and I like see white stuff bright. at night. There was oh. that one time when we were out, and we were like, "What was that?" And there was it was like a big light when we were fishing, and we didn't know what that was. We were actually listening to Art Bell. That's why. That's why we seen it, because we were listening to Art Bell. And Art Bell, of course, when you listen to Art Bell, you see everything. Honestly, uh, yeah, I think I looked up and said, I wonder what that is, but it really didn't occur to me that it was UFO. I'm sure it was something up there that... I just thought it was unusual. Yeah. Maybe a lot of people see stuff that's unusual and don't realize. All right. When you listen to Art Bell, you always see something unusual in this oh, guy. Yeah. You know, it could be oh, a plane yeah. and you're going to say it's a UFO. So. You have a closed mind. You're not going to see anything. So... Yeah. Right. I was on Lockwood over here, and I was dry. It was dark, and I looked up, and there was a saucery-shaped object, but it was almost ethereal. Like maybe if I stared at it hard enough, I could look through it. Okay. And there was a ring of lights around it. Huh. And it was almost like a projection, like maybe somebody was projecting something onto the clouds up there. So I drove past it, and I thought, oh, somebody's you know, messing around. But by the time I got home, I had talked myself into thinking, that was weird. <laughs> and I turned around, and I ran back, and I tried to find it. And I uh, you were going to so. chase it again? Like, I was going <laughs> to chase it. That thing was headed to Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know what's Everybody going on at Pittsburgh. Is Quintanella still alive? I need to call him. <laughs> Quintanella is not alive. Booker is not alive. His son took over his shoes and became the police chief in Manaway until just, I don't know, a few years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. And, um, and he talked to reporters uh, about his dad. He was trying to clear his dad's name and get people to give his, his dad credit. You'll even find a video of us taping this very episode 
complete with a fireside ambiance. I don't know about the fireside ambiance, but... The fire's over there. That's right. You'll be able to see the fake UFO in the background. It's the biggest yes, thing since the Hindenburg, yes. so... And you'll, and you'll hear our app post-podcast chatter, which has been quite fun. <laughs> That's right. You should buy a new fire jet. Like, the ones that are like the propane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a good idea. All right. And happy Halloween. And happy and, Halloween. And, and let me read what, um, you know, Paula Schleiss has typed out for me. Okay. Three, Thanks for joining us. Three. And we'll meet you here next week. No, wait, wait. Listen, Bob. I'm not done yet. <laughs> meet us here next week for another Ohio mystery. <laughs> Until then, keep the fire burning and happy camping. Typing fast. Yes. Boy, you know what I just noticed was the E E E T at the meet, too. You know what? If I didn't have to write down what you needed to say, right. then you could just say your own thing. That's true. Thanks for joining right. us. Wait. We'll meet you here next week. Three. <laughs> Wait, I didn't even see that meat. You didn't see the meat. Meat. Well, you know what? I, 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 just for just for our, our viewers, I'm going to read this how she put it out. You already did. No, I didn't do the meat. Okay, do it again. Okay. No, we'll go for it. Thanks for joining us. No, we'll, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that? No, it says, thanks for joining us. Oh, wow. <laughs> thanks for joining us. And we'll meet you here next week for another high mystery. Until then, keep the fire burning and happy camping. Next time, I gotta change my pants. <laughs> That's great stuff. Right? Yeah, exactly. What did you put in that fire? Did <laughs> you throw a little hemp in that fire? I had a really. You put some hemp in that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. For the official podcast, three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> Cut. <laughs> that was awesome. And listeners, if you enjoyed tonight's episode on UFOs, there's a podcast where you can continue your exploration of all things UFO. It's called Somewhere in the Skies, and here's a little more about it. When I was 12 years old, I saw something in the sky that I couldn't explain. And I've been searching for answers ever since. And now, I want you to join me on that search. I'm Ryan Sprague, the host of the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. You'll hear from researchers, experiencers, and individuals in all walks of life as we sit down and talk all about UFOs, the paranormal, and just plain weird. From the Antica Podcast Network, it's the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. Available now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and at somewhereintheskies.com. Remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching Somewhere in the Skies. That's it for tonight, campers. Check out our website at ohiomysteries.com for photos, news clippings, and more on the UFO chase. I tell you what, Paula does a really good job there, so you're going to get a lot of information. If you like our podcast, please spread the word. We are on Facebook and Twitter, and would be so grateful if you would like, follow, share, or retweet us to your friends and family, or all of the above, because we would love to have them join us. And if you really, really like our podcast, our website has a link on our Patreon page where you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. And we'll give you a shout out right here. Any money we get goes towards equipment, server fees, research costs. So thanks for helping us out and keep doing what we are doing. I promise I'm not spending it on Pokemon balls. Trust me on that. <laughs> the, well, Steve, that brings us to tonight's featured musical artist, Guy Randall. Guy writes and performs a variety of genres because he loves all kinds of music, especially songs that speak to him and connect to him at the core. His goal for songwriting and performing is to make that same connection to the listener. 
Guy started playing the guitar just four years ago, and that's where he discovered his voice, and he's been writing and performing ever since. That's hard to believe, just four years ago. Uh, he's accomplished he's a lot he's in excellent. a very short time. So you can find him on Facebook and Instagram, or search for his YouTube channel, and you can sample his music on his website and even catch some of his videos there. That's at GuyRandallArtist.com. Let me spell it out for you. Guy Randall, that's R-A-N-D-A-L-L, GuyRandallArtist.com. Since we don't expect you to remember all of that, we're going to help you out a little bit here. We're going to put that on our website at OhioMysteries.com under the featured music link. For now, we'll leave you with the full version of the song, Never Look Back. And we'll see you back here next week. back
You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.